Hello, Menstruation Nation, and welcome to the Period Poverty Praxis Project podcast. Hi, I'm Allie. I'm Julia. I'm Lily. And I'm also Lily. Um, And today we are going to be talking about periods and how to fight period poverty. Period poverty is defined as having a lack of access to sanitary products due to financial restraints. According to a 2019 Reuters survey, one in five low income have trouble affording period products. And according to the Always Confidence and Puberty Wave 6 survey, almost one in five American girls have either left school entirely or missed school entirely because they did not have access to period products. This is why it's important that we address this issue and have conversations about menstruation. But something to acknowledge is that it is not only teenage girls like the four of us who get our periods along with other symptoms each month. This past April, Dr. Summer, a professor at Columbia University, invited us to attend a two-day law symposium titled, Are You There, Law? It's Me, Menstruation. While presenting, many speakers emphasize the importance of using the term menstruator, which refers to girls, women, transgender men, and non-binary individuals who all get their period. Following the symposium, we had the opportunity to speak with Caitlin Grewer, another researcher from Columbia University. Caitlin Brewer. I'm currently a program manager on the Gender Adolescent Transitions and Environment Program at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. My team works on a lot of issues, but primarily we look at the issue of menstruation, uh, both globally and within the U.S., and looking at the various challenges and opportunities that arise around menstruation and the challenges that Uh, women and girls and other people with periods face in trying to manage their menstruation comfortably and confidently. Caitlin and her fellow researchers have done research around the world from the streets of New York City to the schools of Kenya. They have done work focusing on the three main areas. So one, looking at adolescent girls and their experiences with puberty and menstruation, including access to menstrual products. Um, Two, looking at homeless women uh, in New York City and their experiences with menstruation while living either in shelters or on the street, but particularly around access to menstrual products. And then also right now, we're doing a study that is not published yet, hopefully will be sometime soon, looking at um, the how the COVID pandemic has impacted women's access to menstrual products across the U.S. over the course of the last year. She also told us a bit more about her work with GATE. GATE look at um, women and girls' experiences with menstruation, at their experiences with kind of sanitation, and then also at adolescent girls and boys' experiences with puberties. But it's not just research. We really try to bridge the gap between research and kind of practice. I think very often there's great research that's happening um, in research institutions, but it doesn't necessarily get translated to policymakers, to the people who are doing programming on the ground, or to the public in general. Um, And so we have a really big push trying to create, after we finish the research, 
be published in an academic journal because that's kind of the bread and butter of academic research. But then we also try to create um, other resources that help the populations we were researching more directly. For example, after researching the experiences of women and girls in refugee and humanitarian settings around the world, Gate created the Menstrual Hygiene Management and Emergencies Toolkit. This toolkit not only helps volunteers setting up refugee camps to ensure menstruators receive all they need to handle their periods, but also ensures the dignity of those menstruators is upheld. Providing menstruators with products when they have been denied rights and experienced hardship not only recognizes their struggle and humanity, but creates an atmosphere in which relief organizations stand in solidarity with them. As Caitlin and her team have studied adolescents' experiences during puberty, they found that many girls were unable to relate to illustrations in puberty pictures, picture books, which prompted them to feel even more uneasy and uncomfortable about their situations. A common mistake in these books is that they do not illustrate a diverse group of kids and are often too text-heavy. In response, Caitlin's team is working on creating a book about puberty that depicts kids with, with a variation of ethnicities and body types and includes children with disabilities. This way, all children can have access to the learning tools they can personally identify with and relate to. In our first question for Caitlin, we asked about the causes of period poverty, and her response seemed to center on one key word, access. While the causes of period poverty vary based on a menstruator's age and level of financial stability, it seems like a lack of access, whether to education, products, or privacy, is what fuels this issue. Caitlin started by addressing challenges for adolescent girls. Um, so in terms of the adolescent girls, we have found, in terms of key findings, I think that probably our biggest finding has more been around lack of access to information and kind of confusion that girls have around menstruation and really just a lack of access to period education, particularly early enough that they know what's happening when they reach menarche. Then she summarized the findings of a research project her team conducted in 2019. While her interviewees were mainly cisgender women experiencing homelessness, Caitlin's conclusions highlight the common experiences of many homeless menstruators. We did research with this population, kind of trying to understand the problems that they faced. Um, and we came away with a whole range of things. So access to toilets where they could change their menstrual products, difficulty accessing bathing facilities, laundering facilities. But when we look at kind of period poverty, specifically in that access to products, um, we did find that across the populations of people who live in shelters and on the street, both struggle to access menstrual products. While homelessness in itself poses many challenges, adding the responsibility to handle menstruation in a sanitary and safe fashion adds further hardships. It's concerning that menstruators will beg for tampons, use makeshift products, or feel embarrassed about a completely natural process. And what's worse, menstruation can keep these individuals from participating in the civic sphere. Restraining menstruators from work, education, and public discussion just because they are unable to access products is not okay. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops affirms that people have a right and a duty to participate in society. 
It is up to us to ensure that ability to participate is protected. Passing legislation can also be extremely beneficial. In our research, we learned about Representative Mang's Menstrual Equity for All Act, a bill which, according to USA Today, would have required Medicaid to cover period products in schools and homeless shelters to use federal funding to provide pads and tampons at no cost. So we wanted to know more about how policy can specifically be used to combat menstrual inequality. Caitlin called the appearance of menstrual equity bills very useful. She also referred to the first CARES bill that came out during the COVID pandemic, which recognized menstrual products for the first time as a medical necessity that you could use your um, HSA and FSA spending accounts for. And so that's also a step forward. Caitlin also mentioned the tampon tax, a tax in some states that qualifies tampons as a luxury good. This is gendered policy in general, but it also makes tampons more expensive, making it harder for those struggling financially to afford the products they need and prefer to safely manage their period. Providing low-income and vulnerable communities with access to the products would also be helpful. We also need to look at existing support services that could provide these products. We have things like food stamps um, and the Women, Infant, and Children program where we provide uh, money and support to people who can't buy necessities if they're in certain populations. But right now, those um, social systems are, you can't purchase anything that's a non-food item from them. So you can't buy tampons or pads with them. And so I think even something as simple as expanding that mandate so that, or something similar so that there was governmental support for people to buy these items, I think, could be really useful. So the big question is, why are period products not already considered medical necessities in the first place? Caitlin had an idea. Menstrual pads have been considered, if not medical necessities, more of a necessity item than tampons. And I, so I think that there's just been kind of an odd notion that people can access pads. And if you have one product, that's sufficient. Um, which I think obviously doesn't take into account different people's um, preferences, which should be allowed and accounted for, and also just the different levels of flexibility that tampons offer. Caitlin's current project relates to advertising and media opinion on period products and how they've changed over time. Their research has found that how advertisers view periods has changed as period stigma decreases. Older ads framed menstrual products as shameful or secretive things and promoted their products as something discreet or easy to hide to avoid embarrassment. This mindset is directly connected to the stigma around menstruation. Recently, ads have shifted focus and frame periods as something empowering. For example, Advertisers use athletes to promote their products and vouch for their ability to work without slowing down world-class athletes. However, even with these advancements in reducing period stigma, some things still need to change. The researchers at Gate did a study on how period products, when demonstrated in commercials, are never displayed using red liquid. Instead, blue liquid is used to symbolize period blood. This is slowly changing, but shows how there is still stigma around menstruation. By using blue liquid, menstrual blood is displayed as unnatural. These stigmas about menstruation prevent action from being taken against period poverty. As long as menstruation is seen as a taboo topic, 
period poverty will exist because these two things go hand in hand. Jesus embraced those considered unclean by society. This relates to period stigma. Menstruators should not be considered unclean or gross because of the natural body process. It is our job to reach out to those who are vulnerable or seen as unclean and make sure they can live healthy, comfortable lives. St. Francis said, be who you are and be that well. To be well, to be healthy, to be who God intended us to be, menstruators will get their periods. This is the way our bodies work. It's not gross or unclean, but completely natural. This is why period stigma is so harmful. Not only does it disrespect the dignity of grown people, but it forces younger menstruators to characterize their periods as a bad event. In order to establish the confidence in kids, teens, and young adults, and eliminate the fear of getting your first period or bleeding through a tampon, we need to establish an environment where menstruators feel comfortable to be themselves. We need to ensure people can easily access products so they are not kept from participating in society and so that they are respected. There is also a balance between working to make sure that menstruators can manage their periods safely and privately and the fact that in a perfect world, people shouldn't feel ashamed because of their periods. At the same time that it's really important to ensure that women and girls have access to the products that they need, it's also important for us as a society to be talking about menstruation and help to break down those barriers. While we work to end period poverty, we must also address the stigma that impacts menstruators' mental health and our society's ability to address menstrual inequality on a systemic level. While poverty in general, an abstract-seeming problem, may be one of the root causes of period poverty, ensuring that menstruation is considered an effort to address poverty is key. Including menstruation in this is reliant on our society's awareness of periods in general and our ability to speak openly about them. So what can we do? Central to ending stigma is education, Caitlin told us, especially of children at young ages. Initially, Caitlin explains that with young girls, one of their key findings has been lack of access to information and confusion. Later, Caitlin explained what her ideal scenario would be, and it starts at home. If I had to paint my absolute ideal world, it would be something that like parents and aunts and older sisters started talking to girls about, and boys when they were very young. Um, my mom's a doctor and has always been really open with me about menstruation. I don't remember learning about periods. Like I remember that moment in school when they like walked us through it and we like learned all the specifics. But at that point I knew that my mom had her period and it was like, I kind of knew what pads and tampons were. Um, I don't think she ever sat me down She also explained that social media has led to this explosion in awareness, partly to our generation being extremely open and being true change makers. The most important point Caitlin brought up was conveniently related to us busy girls. And any ways that girls can get information from slightly older girls, I think is one of the most impactful ways. And I think that's a lot of what you're seeing with TikTok and YouTube and these things like this is that young girls really like don't like to learn from adults they learn from adults enough and it's way more impactful if they hear about it from someone who's two years older than them because that person is much more aspirational and much more relatable to them the more we teen girls talk about the subject the more our little sister counterparts will be more comfortable and will want to learn like any stereotype or stigma we will only see drastic changes over large chunks of time 
So every little thing matters and helps. In addition to this action within a small community, there is still a lot we can do on a national level. The Menstrual Equity Act for All, which we referenced earlier while discussing Representative Mang's dedication to combating period poverty from a legislative perspective, still needs to be passed. During the Are You There Law, It's Me Menstruation Symposium, Representative Meng said she is preparing to reintroduce the bill. This would ensure period products would be covered by Medicaid and allow for other ways to make menstrual products more accessible throughout the country. Representative Meng also talked about how we must end period stigma and normalize conversations about menstruation. She said stigma is half the barrier to push forward laws because lawmakers can become uncomfortable and not want to talk about menstruation. Of course, if they do not talk about it, nothing can be done. By educating young children and talking about periods openly, we can start breaking down the stigma that keeps period poverty from being addressed. While a lot of states have removed the tampon tax, which makes period products more expensive and thus even harder for menstruators in poverty to access, there still needs to be widespread political actions to ensure accessible and affordable period products. Period products must be included in actions to make other necessities available. As students, we can create change by contacting our state representatives and expressing support for menstrual equity and by fighting menstrual stigma and talking about menstruation. This issue, like many others, will only exist for as long as those against it are silent. Therefore, we should use our voices to advocate for those who are in need. Thank you for listening, Menstruation Nation. This has been the Period Poverty Praxis Project Podcast. Once again, this is Lily, Lily, Julia, and Allie. We'll see you next time.